0: Uh, chapter one. Actually, it'd be better served if you opened a Luke chapter two and then back up the page a little bit. Um, we do have a couple of announcements today. Um, I do uh, Bona and Eddie. Bona is a—they're the missionaries. They're from Albania. She had her kidney transplant like on Monday or Tuesday. She's home—not home in Albania, but home in Los Angeles. So it went well. So just keep praying for her recovery. It's a really a sweet thing. Uh, today is Chips and Salsa Sunday, so we'll be. Thankfully, the wind looks like it died down, so we make it way out there for chips and salsa. Um, and then next, next, uh, you know, next Sunday is Christmas Eve, so we're gonna have our Christmas Eve service. So we want to encourage you to wear um, your your Christmas attire. Um, you know, Don asked this morning. I don't think anybody would be offended if Don wore a Santa hat next week. I personally would love it. You know, I think Don, you're cleared hot. So now he has to wear his Santa hat next week. Um, But today we have the Manning family with us, and obviously over the years our church has sort of composite kind of changes. And so I'd like to share a little bit about the Mannings. The Mannings have like a really a special relationship with our family and with the church. Um, Anna and Josh. I think it was high school. I don't see Anna and I don't see Josh. So I'm just kind of like there's Josh. They're kind of like scattered and um, I think it was high school-ish that you guys met each other. Is that right? So they met each other in high school. I'd heard about the Manning family for a long time, and then I, I, when I got out of the Navy, like, so it was like a week after I got out of the Navy, one of the kids who I put through SEAL training, he asked if I would officiate his, his wedding. And so at the wedding, turns out Josh was there. Josh and I uh, start talking. We're kind of mingling. We're, we're. I mean, it was like love at first sight. We were talking just like on this floor, and we lost track of time. And then finally, when baby back, baby got back, song came on, and all these people are dancing around us. It dawned on us, man, we're on the dance floor. Let's get out of here and continue talking. And it was right around this time we were like within a month or two months, of being called up here to restart the church. And so when we came up here, there were like eight people. And right away, we had asked Josh and Heidi. They were getting ready to head to Mongolia with new tribes. And we'd, I said, well, we can't really like, support you that much. Maybe like 20 bucks a month or something. Can Can you guys come here? And so they came. It was like a record Sunday. I think there were 20 people because they brought their family. And <laughs> we had ours. And... And so through that day, I had kind of said, hey, we'll send a missions trip to Mongolia in five years. And then the five years got closer and closer and closer, and I felt like I needed to go out there. And through that trip, God really worked in my heart for how I felt like we as a church really needed to partner with missionaries in in, in a real relational way, uh, not just giving money and not going. It's too long to share just for right now. But they are here today. God moved them from Mongolia. God, I believe, used Mongolia to prepare them to work with Native Americans, and I don't know if Josh is going to talk about that, but I told him he can talk for like two minutes to 15 minutes. I have the sermon that can I can take, do it in five minutes, or I can do it in 40 minutes. So we'll just kind of play off of Josh. After Josh shares, we will um, let the kids go to Sunday school. And the last time I did this, when Isaac and Rachel were here, I didn't warn the Sunday school teachers. So if he goes long, that means you're going to have a short Sunday school class. And if he goes short, then you're going to have a normal Sunday school class. Because last time they were still in Sunday school, they're like, everybody's done. And I was like, well, yeah, because Isaac took a long time. So with that, we're going to welcome Josh or whoever, Josh and Heidi. Josh, I don't know who's coming up. But yeah, yeah, whoever wants to come up, come up. But now's the time. I mean, (laughs) is Josh afraid to go alone? Is he like,
1: Ta-da. Man, it's good to see everyone. A lot of new faces. It's like memory lane whenever we come mm-hmm. back. Like, it's getting choked up. Like, it's like, in fact, I might even cry up here. Okay. Um,
2: That's when I get to talk.
1: I'm not a crier either, so that means a lot. You're welcome. A lot. <laughs> I don't fake cry. I don't fake cry. Um, I have four daughters. Well, even my son. Like, they get old, and I get tearier, and oh, my goodness, all mushy and sensitive. <clears throat> Anyways, it, it really is. I think it's hard to even know where to start. Um, God has been so good through not just this place. I mean, it, it does. There's the, the nostalgia hits when you come into a building you're familiar with, but really the people that make this who who this is and who God's called you all to be. And we have been the recipients of that through so many seasons in our life, quite a journey. Um, like, like Gunner said, and just to clarify, like you just dated us, right? Like not our not our guy date, like baby got back, but like that is old. Like we just did the math; that was like twenty years ago, right? Like eighteen. So it's like, oh my goodness, I guess my son is twenty years old. Like a word. Um, so just yeah, so thankful. I just I want to read this because this summer God allowed Heidi and I to be on sabbatical at, from Indian Bible College. It was a really rough year. The last three years have been, it seems like COVID initiated a lot of struggle, a lot of pain. Um, Heidi lost her dad um, unexpectedly. um, COVID hit. Um, My dad's been going downhill these last few years. Um, Our kids grow up, you know, I mean, leave me, leave us. Um, They get more beautiful and they don't need me as much. So, it's hard. Growing up is hard. And, and yet, one of the coolest things, I think, in growing up is seeing God's goodness and His grace that we, like, reflect on. And just this summer, Philippians 1, Philippians, the entire book, just really challenged tidies my heart. We got to dig into it and meditate on it. But I just wanted to read this, and you'll, you're familiar with it. Chapter 1, verse 3, Every time I think of you, I give thanks to my God. Whenever I pray, I make my requests for all of you a joy. For you have been my partner, our partner, in spreading the good news about Christ from the time you first heard it until now. And I am certain that God who began the good work within you, this partnership together in ministry, gospel ministry, will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. And I know that, that verse is read a lot, but I think in this context, I think that's exactly what Paul's talking about. It's the partnership that even, even when we go dark, even when we... Cause honestly, it's hard. It's hard to come back and know that there's been a lot of change and we're not faithful with keeping up all the time and life happens and it's just like God though, his work continues. I, I, we are not big enough to really get in the way of what he wants to do. The deal is that I miss out. We miss out on his work when I, when I say no or I back away from it. But when I'm, when I, when we are all into what he's doing, it's like this mighty raging river and I can put my raft right on that river and let it flow. And so, God, help us to not miss out on the work he's doing, whether whether I see it all the time or not. And this is a great reminder for us of his good work and his grace. And, uh, man, we don't deserve it, but we desperately need it. And you all are a, a beautiful reminder of that, especially a few of you that we really do know. I'm looking at, yeah. So, Rick, Christina, yeah, Santa. Where'd Santa go? In the clan. I love that. I'm a little jealous, though. Um, yeah, I'm trying. So we are, um, yeah, so Josh and Heidi, I'm, I'm all over the place here. Um, Micah is our oldest, just to introduce us, since you don't maybe know the whole family. Micah and his girlfriend, Brindley. Oh, yeah, right. <coughs> and his special friend. And we're really glad she's <laughs> able to come with with the Manning clan. And we've got, where's Patience is next. Ellie's like, they're all like so close. Giganra and I were laughing because they're so close, like in age and stage. Patience and Anya and Naomi and Mariah, I'm not gonna forget your names, not right now, don't worry. So um, super yeah, super thankful to all be here. Yeah, we we just we don't get to be together all the time either now. So this is really a treat to be together as a family and to be here. So um, so we are with with Indian Bible College and we've been there we're going on into our eighth year and we were part time in Albuquerque for a couple of years, so it's a decade. Like when I started doing the math we did the math. Like it's twelve years ago we came back from Mongolia. And we've been in Native ministry and especially with Indian Bible College since then, for most of the time at least. And uh, super, super blessed. And Gunnar's right. Like the training that God gave us in Mongolia, little did we know that was just continuing education. It's a little weird, right? To be taken overseas. But there were, there were so many things that um, honestly are so much harder in the Native context than what we ever experienced in Mongolia. And it's right here. It's domestic. It's right. It's next door. It's our neighbor. And yet, some of the lessons we learned through relationships and His Word and His Spirit's moving in our lives through church partnership, we've we've been able to benefit from this next season of life at Indian Bible College. So, super thankful for how God uses those pizzas again, His work that just flows, and we have the chance to be a part of it or not. And so, we are at the Bible College. Um, I'm a, a dean and 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 teach as well. Um, our family is very involved with the the student body. It's about forty. 40 full-time students on campus. There's a resident campus. Um, there's a team that came out a few years ago that did a bunch of work on our house and was able to see the campus as well. And um, we have a, a growing um, online student body as well. So it, one of the, one of the things that we really have a heart for that God taught us in Mongolia um, is that we want to see, and I think this is the heart of his, his church, not just the Manning family, not just IBC, but to see the church As a whole, no matter, no matter, no matter the diversity or the the distinctiveness of it, no matter how it looks, it's supposed to be indigenous. It's supposed to be homegrown and to reproduce itself. And in Native America, I know you guys have some reservations really close here. I didn't even know how many growing up in San Diego, East County, I'm in East County, not Grossmont High, right? But yeah, Grant Hills Um, down the road, like didn't know how much influence Native America has on almost every community in the West, at least um at least greater community but it's it's shocking how long missions has been among native peoples but there's very very little indigenous le- leadership and spiritual reproduction into the next generation you have a dying church in many ways and so it's and yet it's been impacted by the gospel this demographic longer than most and so our heart has been to see what we wanted to see in Mongolia that didn't get to see it in the way that we were planning on, but to see that same ripple effect in, in the Native American context, that's actually probably even more needy. Honestly, you do the numbers, and about 1% of Native America across tribes, over 500 tribes in the lower 48 alone, are, are, un, are unsaved at least, and many of those are unreached. And more and more, as progressive society takes over, our nation, that only drives the divide between true gospel of grace and Jesus Christ. And and Native America, and so it's only getting worse. It's only getting harder. In other words, and so to have a 1% what's that one percent Sorry, what did I say? Unreached. Oh, unreached. I said I meant I meant unbeliever, unchristian, nonchristian. One percent. Right. Our believers. Right. Yes. Oh, I'm saying right. Yeah, that'd be really good. <laughs> it
0: was sounding really.
1: Wow, what's the? They're like, wait, I'm okay. Not sure why we're there. I am not a mathematician, so that's okay. Yeah, okay, good. Yeah, thanks for that. Yeah. That's right. Good. Um, so, anyways, yeah, you going to jump in there? Yeah. You know, it's, you know, take over since I'm not doing the math too well.
2: I actually really just came up here because I wanted to be able to say thank you to. He's really got. He's really got uh, the numbers. That just was sounding pretty exciting. Yeah. To me. Wow.
1: They <laughs> can, um, can leave. They can just move on.
2: Yeah. We we interact with a lot of people um, that come from uh, tribal groups where they may be the only believer that they know. In their village, um, they may be the only believer they know in their tribe. And uh, we've interacted with a lot of people over time that have struggled with the fact that they still see a divide. You know, why we live in a world that wants inclusion. We want to kind of erase lines between, you know, because we feel like differences mean discrimination um, and so we've interacted with a lot of believers that feel like, why, why do you keep exalting the differences between these tribal groups, these tribal people? Um, it feels like we're trying to un-Americanize them maybe. Um, and yet we found the more we work with them that one of the best ways to, to honor and actually reach them is to help them to see that God created them purposefully as the Native people that they are. Um, He didn't intend for them to leave their culture, to leave their ethnicity, to even leave their tradition or their family to become believers, but that they can be the best believers for Christ, that they can be by really embracing who God created them to be. Um, But the challenge in the church over so many years has been that either we exalt the native tradition so high that Christ gets left behind, or we exalt white Western church traditions so high that Christ and their native culture gets left behind, and either one is weak and empty. Um, so the beauty of that we've enjoyed so much with being able to work with native students from all different tribes as they come is to help them realize that as a believer in Jesus, we all have a new identity, and it's an identity in Christ first, and we all share that. And out of that, we can live as the person that He's made us, in the ethnicity that He's given to us, in the culture that He's placed us among. We can live that best if our first identity comes from being placed in Christ together. And um, so we see a really unnatural unity among tribes that normally would not have anything in common. They shouldn't be able to work together. They shock the world around them because they actually come together to learn, to study, to worship to grow and to serve other people. And uh, and a couple years back, it hit us that in a painful way, one of the biggest lessons that we get to be a part of teaching is to be like Christ. They don't just need to be able to go back to their own Native people with Jesus. They don't even need to just reach other Native tribes for Jesus. They actually have to learn how to love white people for Jesus. And uh, so a lot of watching them incarnate and realize that um that we need them and Mm -hmm. and they need us because we're all part of the body of christ and uh the beauty of the last couple years is seeing them also catch a vision that the world is is a part of that as well and so we've gotten to see students reaching out even to other cultures around the world Mm -hmm. um and that's been powerful yeah yeah
1: good segue. (laughs) <laughs> so than that, would I? Um, on, on that note it's, it's been really it, it's been really amazing to see how we really shouldn't fit an Indian Bible College we're not Indians Native Americans First Nations like we're just not we're pretty white mutts and yet to what Heidi just said our identity in Christ the grace that we we all fall under as human beings whether we choose that or not is a different story but all of us being under the grace of God it is, is the determination to whether or not we can work together in unity and true harmony and peace, even among diversity. I mean, it should not work, especially now. Everyone's saying this should not happen, that a white family or a non-Native family at all should be interacting and, and mentoring and teaching and all this. And so it's been, it's been a beautiful reminder of what really binds us together as much as we want to highlight the beauties of Native culture. Um, we don't want to shy away from the ugliness of all cultures, to some degree, there's 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 a perversion that's among each one. But to let the identity in Christ refine and and clarify what we keep, what we hang on to for all of us, and what we get rid of when it contradicts biblical truth and who we are in Christ. So I think just a reminder: wow, this should not work. And and this is one of the reasons why Indian Bible College I love this. It's like we joke like, okay, if my math was maybe that was a God thing, my my math mistake. Like honestly, even if there was only one percent left that were needing to be reached, that we're not saved. Like I wonder, like should Indian Bible College ever be all native? And we're actually saying no, that might sound horrible because it is an Indian Bible College. But for them to be equipped to not just isolate and attract their own, it, it must be multicultural, especially for Native Americans. And so we're really honored to be a part of that demographic that, that is hopefully the balancing factor um, one of the balancing factors there. And as a praise, we're just going to kind of leave with this. But one of the cool things, the proof, the scoreboard of whether we're doing this or not in terms of creating this balance between native and non-native and it's our identity in Christ. And wow, what is the fruit of that? Well, the fruit of that right now is that on Monday this is like hot up the press on Monday, we have 51% native staff to non-native, which is amazing. Like that's unheard of. Like to have Native Americans, period, in a Christian context in leadership, alongside non-native, mostly whiteies, mostly Anglo's, which are the bad guys, typically. That is that is just how it's taught, and the history says so too in many ways. Um, the fact that that's working together is is a miracle. It is an act of God, and and the fact that they are taking taking the baton that's being passed on is beautiful. And yet we're not going to pass it all the way off. We've got to work together. Because it needs to be, like Heidi said, more than just Native impacting. It needs to be world impacting. The world needs Indigenous believers to teach even us like how to do certain things that they get in their cultural context that are actually way more biblical sometimes. And it's, I think it's the work of Satan that he's silenced their voices and has marginalized a lot of Native America. Because he knows how dangerous it would be if the church actually worked together. Actually, was identified in Christ more than anything else, more than any other cultural norm. So it's beautiful. It's really, it's amazing. It's good for me to say this because it's it's easy to get hung up with a lot of discouragements. Um, there's a lot of lot of discipleship in our in our academic program. It's discipleship driven, so it's very focused on healthy community. Um, you don't graduate just because your GPA; it's because of your growth, your character, and that's that's an important distinctive too, which makes sense in an indigenous holistic culture. Um, they would laugh it was just a piece of paper that proved that you knew something you know it's if you do something with what you know that proves proves your intellect and your academics so it, it's a very different dynamic within our native context but it's something that again like i think our family and my kids and hopefully the greater church is getting impacted by more and more because of this different dynamic that's at ivc and it's not just the ivc i think this should be a ripple effect to a lot of different believers and churches and uh, movements globally so anyways we were so so blessed and yeah don't deserve any of this and so thankful for your partnership and prayer and it's just this does our hearts good just to be back in person uh, to be able to share some of this and just to mingle like just to see you just to hug you i'm a hugger so i get all i might get weepy though i was like a drove. Up. i'm like oh my gosh am i that old i am that old i'm that sensitive and this, this is a special place though is, and people so
0: Yeah, that's it. All right, the kids who are super squirmy are free to be dismissed. If you go to Sunday school, you're welcome to go to Sunday school. Um, Okay, we are in Luke uh, chapter 1, verses 57 through 80. I'll pray. Uh, Father, we do thank you and praise you for this day. We thank you. Uh, for your word, we thank you for this time that we have with each other. I thank you uh, that the Mannings could be with us today. I do pray for them, Lord, that you'd bless their time here. I do pray for, for Josh and his siblings as they seek to care for his dad, and, and I know that they have a lot of things that they are uh, trying to figure out. It's a, it's a tough tough season, and so I pray that you would have your hand upon them and give them grace as they seek uh, just to honor um, you know, father and grandpa during this, this season of his life. Um, just help them. And Father, we do thank you for this, this story of, of Jesus that Luke has recorded for us um, as we are easing our way in uh, to the story in the midst of the Christmas season. Father, I pray that you would um, just help us to fill the story, that we would uh, see the story of the, the birth of John today, and that you would uh, Lord help us to see applications within this passage for our own lives. I pray, Father, as we head into Christmas next week that you would uh, help us to keep Jesus uh, first and foremost in our lives. Uh, we thank you, Lord, that he came at his first advent. And Father, as we celebrate his coming, we pray, Father, that you would help us to look forward to his second coming and that we would live our lives in light of that reality that we would um, just be able to reflect Christ in all that we do. We love you, Father, and it's in his good name we pray. Amen. All right, Luke chapter one, verse 57. Now the time had come for Elizabeth to give birth, and she gave birth to a son. Her neighbors and her relatives heard that the Lord had displayed his great mercy toward her. And they were rejoicing with her. And it happened that on the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child. And they were going to call him Zacharias after his father. But his mother answered and said, No, indeed, he shall be called John. And they said to her, There is no one among your relatives who is called by that name. And they made signs to his father as to what he wanted him called. And he asked him for a tablet, and he wrote as follows. His name is John. And they were all astonished. And at once his mouth was opened and his tongue loosed, and he began to speak in praise of God. Fear came on those living around them. And all these matters were being talked about in all the hill country of Judea, All who heard them kept in their mind saying, what then will this child turn out to be? For the hand of the Lord was certainly with him. And his father Zacharias was filled with the Holy Spirit and he prophesied saying, blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited us and accomplished redemption for his people. And he has raised up a horn of salvation for us In the house of David, his servant, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from old, salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show mercy toward our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath which he swore to Abraham, our father, to grant us that we, being rescued from the hand of our enemies, might serve him. Without fear, in holiness and righteousness before Him all our days. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go on before the Lord to prepare His ways, to give His people the knowledge of salvation by the forgiveness of their sins, because of the tender mercy of our God, which the sunrise from on high will visit us. To shine upon those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death, to guide our feet in the way of peace. And the child continued to grow and to become strong in spirit, and he lived in the deserts until the day of his public appearance to Israel. And Father, we do thank you and praise you for this day. We thank you for your word. We ask that you would lead us now, and it's in Christ's good name that we pray. Okay, so we pick up our story. Uh, last last week, um, or the last two weeks, we kind of had first, we found ourselves in the temple and they got word about um, Elizabeth getting pregnant. She was older, he was older, she was barren in addition to her age, uh, meaning that she couldn't have children. And so the angel appeared, uh, they got the news, they take off down south to their home. She was sort of in isolation, uh, seclusion for five or so months, and then... The next week, which was last week, we, we picked up in the north, northern part of Israel with Mary, and the angel appears to her six months later, and she's told that she's going to conceive also. Uh, she was married, or she was in, I should say she was betrothed, so she was legally connected to Joseph, but they had not consummated their relationship, and she wouldn't until they were actually married, married. And so she was like, I don't know how this is going to work out. And the angel basically said, don't worry about that. God's got it under control. The Spirit's going to make this all happen. Uh, The Father, God, will become the father of your child. And so she gets this word. She's a little bit like, I don't know how this is going to happen, but God can do all things. The angel told her, listen, your your, uh, relative Mary, the one who's barren, who's really old, that lives down in Judea, she is also pregnant. She's six months along and um, she knows what's going on kind of thing. So Mary packs up her bag. She takes off down South. It's about a three-day journey. She catches up with Elizabeth. They have this wonderful interaction. John the Baptist in the womb leaps for joy at the coming of his Messiah, little six-week-old Jesus in the womb. And they spend time together. We're told that they stayed there until it was time for Elizabeth to have her baby. And then Mary basically leaves. And so this is where we uh, pick up today's story. And we read in verse 57. uh, Now the time had come for Elizabeth to give birth and she gave birth to a son. We read this. This is like, okay, we know the story. We're used to this, but we have to kind of go back into their minds. She knew she was pregnant. So, so far everything is going as the angel said, but they didn't have ultrasounds back then. There was no way to test. Like I've I've, yeah, I don't. I'm gonna get distracted. I don't have time to get distracted. Well, I'm gonna get distracted. But I've heard now though they can do with like a little like finger prick, and it'll tell you what the gender of the baby is. And that even I kind of thought it was funny because I, like they said even if there's another man in the room, that the man has to leave the room because it can detect the male gene. I'm like, oh, this seems like such a good like like that a bunch of teenage boys like let's see if there's a man in the house like like you know. But it's like, they don't, have, they don't have any of that. And so everything's going along. But they don't know if they have a baby boy like was promised. And then as she delivered the baby, it's a boy. And so then there's just like, this isn't a dream. This is really happening. Her neighbors and her relatives heard that the Lord had displayed his great mercy toward her. This shows the culture during that time, the fact that she hadn't had a child, they viewed it as though God was displeased with her and that he was withholding his grace, his goodness towards them. And the reality was in the midst of, the reality is, is that God, as he withheld her having kids for her whole life, he was actually delaying something super miraculous and super wonderful to her. And so often I think that we think that we need something right now. We want something, this instant gratification. And it, it, the thing that God's not giving you right now, it could be that he is preparing you to receive something that better that he has in mind. I don't know. But they see that she has a baby. They're rejoicing with her. It's just a happy day so far. I mean, everything is going wonderful. We're gonna fast forward a couple of days. Verse 59, and it happened about on the eighth day. On the eighth day, the Jewish people, this is when the the male children would be circumcised. And so on the eighth day, they came to circumcise their son or their child. And they were going to call him Zacharias after his father. Now I want to pause here. Um, The they, who's the they? As we read into this, the they is not Elizabeth and it's not Zacharias. It's the community. Like, so they're going on circumcision day. This is where the child is named. Everything's being given. And they, the community outside of Zacharias and Elizabeth, they were going to name the child Zacharias after his father. And so this is where the story sort of like turns. It just makes sense. Dad's name is Zacharias. Baby will be Zach Jr., And we're going to name him. A lot of cultures do this. The firstborn son gets the name of the father. Um, And in the midst of this, as they're about to do this, verse 60, but his mother answered and said, 'Uh uh-uh, no, his name will be John. And this is like shocking news. Like, what happened here? Like, is there a reason that the father's name isn't being given to the child? And if we were to go back to Luke chapter 1, verse 13, Gabriel, the angel, informed them that they were going to have a son, and he said what they were to name the child, that he was to take on the name John. And so the mother interrupts. She says, nope, the boy's name is John. It is not Zach Jr. And so they, the community, said to her in confusion, there is no one among your relatives who is called by that name. Like, what's happening here? Is there something you're not telling us? And they made signs to the father, which I think is hilarious because the father can't speak, but his ears are fine. As far as we know, his ears are fine. And so they're like doing sign language to the dad when he hears everything that's going on. And he's like, hey, dad, are you going to intervene here? They're about to name your kids some random name. And he asked for a tablet. So he got an Etch-A-Sketch or something. I don't know what they had on hand, but they got something that he could write on And he wrote, his name is John. So both mom and dad affirmed that the name of their child is John. And the crowd now is astonished. And at this moment, as the crowd is astonished, reacting to this news that this baby's name would be John, at this moment, Zacharias, after nine or ten months, however long it was, I mean, from conception, from the time in the temple to the time the baby was born, plus eight days, suddenly now he could speak. And at once his mouth was opened and his tongue loosed, and he began to speak in praise of God. So he's gone all of this time, and he hasn't been able to praise and worship God and give God thanks for what God has done. And as he does this, we're told that fear came over all of those living around them. And all of these matters were being talked about in all of the hill country of Judea. The word spread. I love, like, I'm from a community that just loves gossip. Anna's always teasing my community. Something can happen somewhere in the world in the SEAL teams, and it will make its way around the world within 24 hours. We love it. We're like this sewing circle of like, so-and-so did something. And this is totally what's happening here. Like, they're fearful, and then everybody's talking. Do you guys know about Elizabeth? Yeah, she's like 99. And even when she was younger, she didn't have any kids. She couldn't have kids. She just had a boy. She just had a boy. Like, this is like spreading over, like, wild fire. And all who heard kept this and kept them in mind, saying, what will this child turn out to be? Like, this is a miraculous baby. Something special is happening in the midst of their lives and in this child's life, for the hand of the Lord was certainly on him. Charles Swindoll says this, the family and friends of the couple undoubtedly heard Zacharias tell the whole story of his experience in the temple sanctuary and the predictions concerning John's role as the forerunner of Christ. Consequently, the gossip network covering the region of Judea lit up like a Christmas tree. I love this. And they're just sort of in awe of like, what is God doing? Did I skip a page here? I'm like really rushing for time. Did I miss the fear part? They were all afraid. All right, we'll just go on. Uh, and his father, Zacharias, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, so now he's going to begin to say some stuff by the Holy Spirit about the birth of his son. And it goes in two parts. So verses 68 through about 75, he's speaking to the nation of Israel that the birth of John the Baptist was bigger than their own family. It was bigger than like them as a husband and wife. This is about after 400 years of silence, God's first promise of the coming Messiah back in Genesis chapter three, verse 15. After all of these years, God is now moving and he's beginning this movement through the birth of this child and so Zechariah, this priest, begins to speak to the nation of Israel. And he says, Blessed be the God of Israel. So he goes to praise to the Father. He's going to quote a bunch of Old Testament scripture, sort of looking back at the hand of God through the nation of Israel. So, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, for he has visited us and accomplished redemption for his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of David, his servant. As he spoke by mouth of his holy prophets from old, salvation from our enemies. When he says salvation here, he's speaking of physical salvation, that they as a nation were preserved. Salvation in the house of David, his servant, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets, verse 71, salvation from our enemies, from the hand of all who hate us, to show mercy to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath which he swore to Abraham, our father, to grant us that we being rescued from the hand of our enemies might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all of our days. And so he just reflects that this nation of Israel in the land of Israel that we're talking about, modern-day Israel today, that Zacharias, some 2,000 years ago, is praising God for God's hand of protection over their nation and their people as they're surrounded by enemies that are trying to wipe them off the face of the earth. Does this sound familiar? Somehow, miraculously, not somehow, through the hand of God, that the nation of, of Israel and the people of Israel have been preserved. While for some reason, the world hates them and wants to wipe them out, and yet they exist through their stubbornness and the hand of God are the only things I can sort of put my point my like finger or lay my finger upon. And so, two thousand years ago, you you have this prayer, this recognition of Zacharias for God's protection on his nation. And it wouldn't surprise me if you found some Jewish guy in Jerusalem today saying the same thing, recognizing that God has protected them as a people up to this point. And then he sh- shifts his attention to the child. Verse 76, and you, child, John the Baptist, will be future called the prophet of the Most High. For you will go on before the Lord and prepare his ways. This is the idea of, you know, that coal grade. it's called the, I think it's called like the, it's not in my notes, but I think it's called like the, the, the road to the stars or whatever. And they, uh, when, they, when they built something on Palomar Mountain, they kind of prepared the road so that they can get the thing up there. This was the idea of preparing the road so that the Messiah could walk on smooth road so that the people would be ready for the Messiah. And the Father says, this is your calling. This is your destiny. This is what God has created you for, is to be a forerunner for the Messiah to come, to give his people the knowledge of salvation, an understanding of their position before God, that they are sinners in need of a savior, and that God has provided a way for them, the knowledge of salvation by the forgiveness of their sins, Verse 78 is beautiful. Because of the tender mercy of our God. He doesn't say because you've been a really good people and you've been super faithful and you've been super obedient and you've done all of the things that God has asked you to do. And now because you've done this, now God is going to bless you because of what you've done. He says, no, 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 no. Salvation will come because God is a merciful God. He is gentle and he is kind. Paul in Romans 2, 4 would say, don't forget that it's the kindness of God that leads you to repentance. These are people living under the Old Testament. And so this man living under the Old Testament, the New Testament hadn't been written or penned at this point. He understood the character of God. God's nature has always been By mercy and his grace. Paul would write this in Romans chapter 4, saying going back to Abraham, it wasn't by Abraham's works, it was because of his faith. So Zacharias understood that his son had this mission to to get the nation ready for their Messiah, Messiah. Because of the tender mercy of our God, with which the sun, sunrise from on high will visit us to shine upon those who sit in darkness, and the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. Just beautiful. This is just a little prophecy that he's speaking over his son, understanding what God is doing. And then in verse 80, we see, and the child continued to grow and to be strong in the spirit. And he'd lived in the deserts until the day of his public appearance in Israel. And it's this little verse, and John sort of like, we're going to pick up our story. I mean, we'll get there pretty quick because he's going to show back up in verse chapter three. But 30 years goes by. He's just out. Daniel's cleaned himself up, but I used to love it when he had his like monster beard. Like he used to have like the beard and the braids and he was the perfect lookalike for John the Baptist and he ruined it. <laughs> <laughs> but it's like, but, but I mean, he just is like, this rugged man eating like crickets and honey. So I'm just imagining beard with honey and cricket bits and a loincloth on, just kind of getting ready for, for him to show up on scene. Like his his whole purpose was to look like the weirdo to get everybody's attention. I mean, now I'm not talking about Daniel. I'm talking about John the Baptist. I know. I'm talking about John the Baptist. You got that, right? Yeah, he understands. But it was epic. I mean, I miss those days. I, like when we talk about John the Baptist, I miss those days. But uh, so he just goes away. And it says, And a child continued to grow and to become strong in the spirit and lived in the deserts until the day of his public appearance. So the thing about this verse that grabs me that I really struggle with, I'm a guy that always likes to see into the future. Like I never seem to be content like in the moment. I'm more like the thing around the corner, the thing a year out, down the road, two years down the road. I'm always kind of like have my eyes there. And it's been very hard for me to learn about, God, what lessons are you teaching me now? How are you preparing me for the now? I'm ready to get to the then. And so this guy, from, from conception, like before he was born, all of these promises, all this huge ministry that was laid upon him that God was going to do in his life, and then it's like, okay, you're just going to be out in the middle of the desert for 30 years. And I can, I, I can just, see, like, there's a side of me that can see, like, the frustration of just waiting for Like, I just, I'm ready, I'm ready, I'm ready. And God's like, no, 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 not yet. It's not the time. It's not the time. It's not the time. And so when I look at verse 80, I think that there's a lesson for us to kind of sometimes, I think often God puts us in this sort of a season of, of preparation, and waiting and grooming and being ready to be used for something that you might not even have a clue what what he's gonna do in your life. And so don't waste those moments of, of training and preparing. Okay, with that, conclusion. I can exhale. What do we like what do we do with this? Like the first the first thing is is I can't let this that verse about God's character, the tender mercy of God. That's how we need to approach God. The only thing that we bring to our sort of story of salvation is our sin. We bring nothing to the table. God brings everything to the table His mercy, His grace, His kindness, a sacrifice so that that our sin is paid for. All we do is we respond. And I love this picture of Zacharias and Elizabeth that here's this couple. By their culture, by their world, it looked like God had abandoned them. But they kept plugging away. They kept just being faithful in the little tasks that God gave them. And at the end of their life, when it seemed like that nothing was going to happen through them, God pulls this, like, this epic thing in their lives and he, he did it. I mean, God can do whatever he wants to do, but here they are at the end of their life. They'd been faithful. God uses a super godly faithful couple in, in, in a way that's overwhelming. Like I imagine that they had seasons of, of drought, seasons of discouragement. When the angel showed up, remember what the angel said, God has heard your prayer. And the prayer seemed to be, because of what was given to them, the prayer seemed to be the child that would be in her womb that they had this sorrow for all these years. They just continued in faithfulness. And I think that there's a lesson for us to be faithful, to serve God, to honor him, to trust him for whatever he's going to do. As they look forward to the Messiah, you know, we celebrate Christmas, the first incarnation of Christ. But we live in a season when we're looking for his return. And so everything that they sort of, all of these things that they had, is like, is God really there? Is he really moving? Is he really? God's word makes it clear that Christ is coming back. Like, whatever your theology, you can hold whatever position you want, but at the end of the day, all of the positions uh, say that Christ will come again, and he's going to do something. And so we look to, to him, and we say, God, help me to be faithful in the midst of like all of the craziness that's happening, I mean, our world is a crazy place right now. And it's super easy to put our hope in the, the news or, the st- or maybe it's really hard to put your hope in the news and the stock market and the, the things all around. Like where we need to put our hope is in the sovereignty of God, knowing that he's in control. And while the world seems out of control, God is perfectly in control. And we can trust and we can have joy and we can have peace. And so let's pray. Father, we do thank you. Again, for this day, we thank you for this time that we just have to gather to study your word, to fellowship with one another. Father, we thank you for this story of Christ and how Luke has documented everything for us to know with accuracy. We thank you for the life of John. We thank you for his parents. We thank you for how this portion of his life, his, his birth, uh, the this, this circumcision story and his dad's prophesying over him by the Spirit we thank you, as Zachariah said, that we approach you as a merciful, kind, and gentle God. We thank you that even though we have sinned and we have fallen short of your glory, you meet us with grace, and you ask nothing of us simply to believe. And so, Father, I pray that you would help us to walk with you by faith. I pray for those who maybe don't know you as Savior, that you would help them to connect the dots in their life so that they could respond to you by faith. We thank you that this is how you have planned things to go, that it's not a system of works. It's not about us being good. It's not about us cleaning up ourselves before we come to you. We simply come and receive the gift that you have provided. And, Father, as we celebrate Christmas over the next couple of weeks, Lord, I pray that you would help us to keep our eyes on Christ, that you would help us to be lights to you, that we would share about your goodness and your mercy available to all. We love you, Father, and it's in Christ's good name I pray. Amen.